Welcome to Teacher Talk Radio. Today you're with your hosts, Krupa and Nazir, for your Sunday lunch. Earlier this week, we met with a wonderful practitioner named Mariam Khan on all things early years. Stay tuned to listen in. Good afternoon. Welcome to your Sunday lunch with Nazia and Krupa. Um, it has been an exceptional week this week. We have had lots of networking events happening. We've been catching up with some really key practitioners. But today is all about one particular practitioner. Um, and, and I'm going to talk a little bit about, about Marion Khan to begin with. And I'm going to share her thoughts around... Uh, early all things early years now I myself am from a secondary background both mainstream and special and, and listening to Mariam this week as an early years practitioner sharing her world was so engaging and it really has got me thinking about how we can and should be spending more time thinking about other uh, phases that we work in so um I think Let's just get to it, really. Should we do it? Yeah. Let's do it. Um, so we're going to play the uh, recording of our interview, and then we will be sharing our thoughts. And as usual, we'll be ending with I Wish I Knew Earlier and our Serenity Sunday moment. So stay tuned. Hey. Welcome. Welcome, Mariam. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Really well, thank you. And Nazia's here too. So hi, Nazia. How are you? Hi, hi Krupa, hi Mariam. Hope everyone's hi, well. Hi, Super. Okay, so today's show is actually really, really exciting. We have Mariam Khan here, who is going to be talking to us about the early years, um, the journey throughout um, that she has had, but also why she's so passionate about um, early years. So, so Mariam, first and foremost, tell us a little bit, a little bit about you yourself and your career journey. Okay, first of all, thank you for having me here. Um, I feel very honoured to be here. Um, so I'll wind it all the way back to 2014. I was working at Heathrow Airport, early shifts. It was such a drag at the time. And I just remember always having at the back of my mind the fact that I'm quite studious. I love studying, but I'm not doing it. And that combined with the fact that I'm good with children. You know, when you you have nieces and nephews and you find you're really good with them, but it's not just, oh, play with them for a bit or do a bit of work with them. And that makes you good. There was always that extra something about it that I picked up on. So eventually I went with my gut instinct and I decided to pursue a degree in English literature um, and then went on to do the PGCE or whilst working in both mainstream and independent schools, and then been working for the last five years as a qualified teacher, um, was a teaching assistant before that, and I've only recently completed my master's in education as well. So that's where I'm currently at, and I'm currently a reception class teacher. I've been across Key Stage 1, um, I've also worked in Year 3, 
Um, but my passion, as you said, is in the early years when children are aged four and five before they move into the primary stages. Okay, so Mariam, that I mean, that's um, quite a big jump from working at Heathrow. Were you were you were you a flight attendant, or were you working? At I Heathrow? wish no. I was. It, it wasn't as glamorous as that. <laughs> it was um, giving all the glamorous rich people their tax refund at four thirty in the morning. So it was quite gloomy. We're looking back, um, waking up at that time, that hour, three o'clock in the morning. The only good side to that was finishing at one o'clock and not having work to take home. Yeah. But yeah, I was actually just giving tax refund to yeah, all the Yeah, I mean, do you know, whenever, whenever anyone to say is that they, they worked at the airport or worked for like an airline or something, I just get super jealous. I don't know why it is. No. It's just, it just naturally happens. I mean, I'm sure there's aspects. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Marion. I'm sure there's aspects that come across more glamorous than what I was doing. I feel like all the people I was giving money to were the glamorous ones and I was just there giving them the money. So yeah, yeah. not glamorous on my part. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, and do you know what it is? A lot of the times when people, I've met so many people who moved into teaching. So they, like Krupa, you, you, you went into teaching from your degree, didn't you? Mm. So I yeah. did my, my, he was in biology and nutrition and then I did my PGC. Yeah. Um, and, and then that's it it was you know but I, I, it wasn't my my first intention to go into education to begin with yeah um, yeah it's it's incredible really yeah. really interesting uh yeah. Really interesting. yeah. it's so in, yeah I, I, and I did I I I was a software engineer before I came into teaching it's wow. so odd isn't it yeah it's so odd like and you know what is a lot of people I've met actually used to have another career before they came into teaching and I I think I don't know why that happened. I know why it happened for me, but Mariam, what was the hook for you to going to work into in, uh, working, changing your career and working in early years? So, although like early years is where my passion lies, when I was an NQT, or they call it an ECT now, but I was actually put into year three. So it was a big jump from like early years and key stage one straight into lower key stage two. Um, but what hooked me onto the early years is the fact that there's less structure. I feel like there's less time constraints. You're teaching maths and literacy, but you're teaching it in a variety of ways. You're following children's interests rather than schemes of work all the time. Um, there's more leeway with planning lessons. Um, and it's that I just love the fact that they're four and five years old. They always have such interesting stories to tell as little children. And you're there nurturing that. You're nurturing their personalities, their mannerism, just the way they carry themselves. And I feel like that's what really stands out to me, just the fact that I'm part of their first steps in the school system. Do you Did you find that there was, um, like, your natural tendencies was to work with, with the youngsters over and above some of the older students? Is yeah. that I would say I think I was slightly influenced by the fact that I had nieces and nephews at home who were that age so I had a better indication of what children that age are like and I was kind of born into that misconception that oh as children get older you know their behavior drops and you know um, the attitude and things like this um, changes I mean I'm more than open to working in other year groups but for me early years just always stood out there's always that little extra something and 
when I did start off as a early years key worker in 2014, I was in reception. So maybe I'm biased a little bit based on my first experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, early years is definitely for me. I love that. You know what's really interesting is um, I have a five-year-old myself, and I think 30 of my my young person is a challenge. So I have to say kudos and huge respect, Mariam, the fact that you are willing and wanting and have this real passion for having such small bodies. Uh, yeah. big minds and they are discovering and they've got great personalities you're quite right but all at the same time and all day really is a task and I think it we we, we shouldn't shy away from saying that like it is yeah. it's it's a long day it really mm. is isn't it it is yeah. and that transition is is a lot for them like yeah. in the in the amount of things you have to consider I think there was a study recently that said like teachers make more decisions than was it um what was it surgeons or like brain surgeons there was a whole study i, I don't want to don't quote me on that but there was a study about the number of decisions that teachers have to make and how it's way more than any other profession you might I, i'm not sure of the exact statistics but it's definitely there send it through to us and we can we can bring that back to conversation because i think that's mm. i think you're quite right when you say that you know yeah. education and, and whichever year group you're in um, there is you're constantly thinking about what has happened what's currently happening and what's going to happen next and that's always happening mm. every learner all all at the same time um, and actually with, with you I think you've also got some of the, the learners that you work with haven't had exposure to nursery yeah you've got a real real vast sort of uh range of young people so you've got some yeah. that have the private nursery some have gone to to you know um the the local nurse part-time nurses are all starting at very different uh starting points yes. yeah and also you tend to get a lot of children especially in the borough that i work in at the moment a lot of children coming from abroad who have never been to school or they've yeah. been in a country where the setting was completely different to here so getting them to adjust to that is yeah, like we've had Ukraine, Pakistan, India, Saudi Arabia, and they're all so different in how they do things. So those children coming here, it's a whole clean slate for them. And yeah, but also it's, they're also coming in with trauma at such a young age. Yeah. And that's Definitely. that's so, so hard to swallow. They're, they're so tender, they're so young, and then they, they come to you who's really vibrant and passionate, and you're trying to navigate actually that that really fine line between supporting a young person that's gone through this traumatic experience yeah. and belonging and safety. And then you've got another child that's, you know, has all of that and is presenting, uh, I'm, by the way, I'm assuming quite different, uh, quite differently. So yeah, fascinating. Um, uh, do you know what I really like? I really like the, uh, the, what you were saying about, you know, how there's lots more leeway and less structure and things like that, because yeah. that, that is just, uh, that just really entices me just the, just the thought of that is that that flex and that flexibility um but yeah, yeah we'll um, we're heading to a break and we'll continue this conversation um straight after see you in a bit it's time for a fresh start to language learning Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. 
Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go, well-being and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The BBC reports that one in three primary schools has no male teachers. The study by the Warwick Business School says the proportion of schools without a male classroom teacher has increased in the last 12 months. The report's author, Dr Joshua Fullard, said lack of male teachers was bad for pupils. Dr Fullard is Assistant Professor of Behavioural Science at Warwick Business School. He went on to say that there is a large body of research that shows students benefit from being educated by a teacher with certain similarities to them. The report also found that schools in special measures are less likely to have a male classroom teacher. In total, the report found that 24.3% of all state schools in England had no male classroom teachers. The report called for teachers' pay to be raised by more than 10% and for a merit-based reduction in tuition fees for university-led teacher training to be introduced. Julie McCulloch, Director of Policy for Askell Union, said more needed to be done to attract men and women alike, and the spokesperson for the DfE said the department wanted the profession to be inclusive. North East Child Poverty Commission website reports that new figures published by the DfE confirm that more than three in ten pupils across the North East are now registered for free school meals. This is an increase from January 2022. It remains the highest proportion of any part of England. The figure of 30.4% is compared with 18.8% of pupils in the southeast and 19.4% in the east of England. The England-wide rate is 23.8%. All regions have seen a significant increase in the number and share of children eligible for free school meals over the last seven years. The Guardian reports children's enjoyment of writing has fallen to crisis point following research completed by the National Literacy Trust. The charity says an alarmingly low level of children and young people enjoy writing. The research was conducted across the UK. 34.6% of young people aged 8 to 18 said that they enjoy writing in their free time. Although three in four children starting school said that they enjoyed writing, this dropped to one in four by the age of 16. The Children's and Young People's Writing Report is drawn from over 70,000 responses from children to the charity's annual literacy survey. The number of children who say they enjoy writing in their free time has dropped by 12.2% in the 30 years since the survey began. Young people do report that they write to improve mental health and well-being and to support causes or issues they care about. Full details can be found on the National Literacy Trust website. 
Finally, Microsoft News reports that Taiwan has made the move to use Generative Artificial Intelligence, or AI, to help students learn English. Teachers in the country often report that students read and write better than they speak English, as shyness and a lack of practice can hinder oral communication. A new chatbot has been funded by Taiwan's Ministry of Education to help pupils get the practice they need. The Cooley bot allows pupils to speak person to AI and build up conversation on preset topics. It also assesses punctuation, accuracy and fluency. Taiwan has set a goal of becoming bilingual in Chinese and English by 2030. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to ask you a question. Do you use presentation software to help you deliver your lessons? 99% of you will be saying yes at this point. Have you ever considered how presentations the average pupil in your school sees in a day, in a week, or even in their entire school life? Considering a typical secondary education, with a bit of rough maths, over a week with five lessons a day, there's potential to see 25 presentations. That's 100 presentations in just four weeks. I've left out any additional presentations like assemblies and visitors, etc. Working on a 38-week year, that's a whopping 950 presentations a year. That's a lot of presentations. Now, let's throw in some schools have a standardised slide theme and set layouts. Now we have 950 exactly the same lesson beginnings. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but do we really know what experience a pupil gets through a typical week in school? Are they being engaged or are they being presented with the same visual stimulus day in, day out, simply causing them to fly below the radar. If you're like me, you're now thinking, how do I make my presentation stand out? Is there a presentation software out there that's better than all the rest? In my humble opinion, this is like the visualizer versus HD webcam argument. What works for some does not work for others because all subjects are not the same, which is a good thing, don't get me wrong, but please bear in mind that what works for one teacher may not work for another. A search for free presentation software returns no less than 24 apps I recognise. Some are interactive like Mentimeter, others have more dynamic transitions like Prezi. Most also have additional features and add-ons you can purchase. I know what you're saying, come on Steve, which is the best though? Well the answer is simple, but I've run out of time, so I'll have to tell you next week. In the meantime, please consider the number of presentations a typical pupil is subjected to in your school. Does this need to change, or does it work? And how do you know? Do you have a preferred presentation software and what are the features that make it stand out for you? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Mariam, it's been a beautiful start and just hearing your passion about early years and your journey so far has been really insightful so i'm gonna jump straight in and ask you you know we, we've heard some of the the uh the, the interest and i guess that the changes that has happened so what's the best thing um about working in early years okay for me personally the best thing is i feel there is more room for creativity so you know i was saying there's less structure because of that i feel like it allows you to be as creative as you like. You get to teach inside the classroom. You can go outdoors. There's learn through play. So you can, like, there's just so much leeway for creativity. Um, 
each and every single day, no matter what it is you're teaching. Um, the second thing that really appeals to me is the fact that that is the starting starting stone for building relationships with parents. So those parents usually stay throughout the schooling years all the way to year six. But you're the one that sort of starting off that relationship, building that bond, building that relationship between the parent and the school and bringing that together. But what really stands out to me is that I feel like because there's more time in the early years, you're not um, faced with time constraints to fit everything of the curriculum in all the time. You really get to know each child as an individual based on their interests. So a lot of the learning that you plan follows what the children are interested in, whether it's dinosaurs or princesses or princes or the royal family or castles or whatever it is that the children like you are following based on their interests and planning according to that so that really stands out to me um and you know what one thing I've realized throughout all these years is you can actually learn so much from the children rather than being the one to teach them so they might only be four or five years old but through their like behavioral cues the way they may say something the way they might word something the way so certain actions they might use, they're actually teaching you so much about themselves and their behavior, whether they're happy with something, whether they're not. And and that's pretty amazing to me for kids to be able to do that at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Now, the last thing I will say, and I think this is a misconception a lot of people have. For me, the fact that reading and writing actually starts in reception and not year one. And you see that writing and reading of that children do flourish throughout the year that for me is like the biggest win that's where they learn their sounds that's where they learn to segment and blend that is when they learn to use their sounds to start writing sentences stories and so on not year one so I feel like early years have so much to offer it's just there's not that level of awareness that there should be about it yeah and yeah I totally agree I love my nephew he's he's um well he's six now but I, I remember when he, so he's, I think he's moved into year one now, but when he was yeah. uh, in reception before that, reception falls on t- early years, doesn't it? Yes, nursery and reception. Yeah. So anything um, between zero and five. Right, yeah. So I remember when he had, he was doing his phonics and things. It was the cutest thing yeah. ever. But now he he's just turned six. He's so good at reading. You know, the other day we went to a restaurant and he was reading things off the menu. That's amazing. I was just like, stop. And that's what I mean. The fact that he's reading things off a menu, there's purpose to it. He's not just, re- like, there's no rote reading involved. He's reading because he enjoys it and he has the ability to do so and he chose to do that. That's amazing. And and, and I think that ties in beautifully when you say that they are, when you talk about, you know, the, the learners being able to, to recognize their feelings and, and and they're able to develop that sort of that personal part of it and actually you can see how beautifully that that's so important for them to then be ready for the learning so yeah. while you're, you're sort of meandering and you're carving and you're making space for them to be you're also seeing the little hooks that's going to enable them to grow if that makes sense and that, that's what i'm gauging yeah. which is really interesting so it's really tender time but i'm also thinking from i mean even when they're nursery to reception that's a significant jump yeah and then again I find it's quite significant because a lot of the children now have English as an additional language so for them that's where they're picking up on English in nursery and in reception all that vocabulary building sentences all of that comes from the early years Mm -hmm. yeah no that's and you know what else actually is one of the best things about working in early years and I only know this because actually this is when I was doing my 
PGCE, we had to do some work experience prior to the PGCE. Um, it was like a prerequisite. And I ended up working at a school and there, so I was given some experience working in year six and all the way down to reception. I was a complete stranger and these kids were sharing with me like what they do at home and what happens at home. And I was like, should you be telling me? I was like, obviously in my 20s, I was like, should you be telling me this? Because it was like, you get an insight to what happens at home. But they're, they're very so open. Aren't they? But they're so open. They are. I'm a stranger. I'm only in the class for three days. But yeah. Is that what you do? You find that, Mariam? Sorry, find what? That the the young people are so open. The children are so open. They just... Very, very open. They'll tell you anything and everything about their weekend, about their whole life. Literally, they'll they'll just blurt it out. You're sitting on the carpet in the middle of a maths lesson, and they'll be like, "My mom, this. My dad, this. My grandma, this." Or I went here, and it's like, okay, there's a time and place for that. We're doing maths right now, but you can tell mm -hmm. me later. <laughs> Yeah, I was. I went to yeah. a uh, my my son's. Um, this was a while ago. I went to his at uh, the parents' day for, when he was in reception, and uh, with the uh, the teacher said to me, "Oh yeah, you um you know your son told us about um you know that you guys went out and got um dressing gowns and you got like uh each, and the colours each of you got for your dressing," and I was like, "Okay, yeah. well yeah. that's not something you share." <laughs> anyway. So, Brilliant. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, okay. So let's move on to oh, the next question. So, Mariam, what yeah. difficulties and challenges have you come across in the early years? Now, bearing in mind, when you first go into any kind of um, a new role, the challenges and barriers you face then are not necessarily the barriers and changes, yes. uh, barriers you face later on or the challenges you face later on so do you want to like talk through the whole generally like when you first started yeah I'll give you an overview of yeah. like the sort of challenges I've faced in almost every early year setting I've been mm. in or I've been told about or I've come across so the okay. first one I would say is often being overlooked as a phase so by that I mean um there's that misconception that we're just playing with the children all the time you hear it a lot oh but you guys just play with the kids like that's all you're doing so it it can be quite disheartening to hear that if I'm honest like we're not babysitters we, we're not there to babysit the children we are there to nurture the children and teach them in the same way that the rest of the primary and secondary school teachers do so that's one of the difficulties a personal difficulty I would say that I've faced quite a lot um I also find that, you know, when it comes to the end of year or even throughout the year, when it comes to trips and workshops, you'll always hear, oh, key stage one, this is for you. Key stage two, this is for you. Oh, early years, it's not suitable for you. It's not age appropriate or it's not aimed at you. So you tend to miss out on a lot of opportunities, even when you're booking a trip to go on. A lot of settings will say, oh, it's for key stage one or key stage two or five and above. So that means a lot of your children are in reception or nursery won't be included in that in that so they won't get to go so you're often overlooked in terms of trips and workshops um one really big factor that i want to touch on is early intervention so nursery and reception tend to be the years where you get a lot of special um educational needs children coming in um 
And when they come into reception, it's almost always a case of, oh, you need to make notes. You need to do a lot of observations. A lot of outside bodies come in to see that child. Um, you don't tend to get any additional support for those children. Um, there's no EHCP plan in place at that point because they're too young and there's a huge waiting list. So usually you're sort of left to your own devices to work out what strategy works for those children, what doesn't. It's a lot of trial and error. And then they move up to year one and across the school and suddenly they've got a plan or they've moved to a special school or they've got additional support, which was not provided in early years. So you're left to do all the all the like underlying work, set the foundations and then they're gone and you you don't seem to get any of that support. Um, so I think early intervention is something that really needs work within the early years. If a child needs support, they need support. And I understand with budgeting costs and all these other factors that play into it, it does impact that. But the child needs support from day one, not when they go into primary. It's from the early years. Uh, and the earlier you can help them, the better it is for the child. It should be the child that's put at the forefront, not costs, things like that. Um, and the last thing I will say is resourcing can be quite limited. So obviously children have their own interests. Some children can have a vast variety of interests. So like I've had children taking interests on mini beasts that I wouldn't even know about or bugs and things like that that I wouldn't even know exist. So often resourcing can be quite limited. You end up spending a lot of time making things in your own time or finding things in your own time and like time constraints in that aspect can play a part. But yeah, resourcing um, in terms of um, things within the classroom even for children to use in order to achieve their early learning goals can be quite limited. So yeah, you again, you're left to your own devices to fund that or buy things yourself or um, make things in your own time. Mm -hmm. So those are my four things and, that and I would then, say are challenges. And is, is that purely because you know you have to follow the lead of the young person you have that that child you have to take on board their interests and it's kind of interest-led learning is that why is that the yeah. reason so it's because it's interest-led learning but also it's because some children learn visually some need practical they need to have that practical element where they learn through their play some can learn by you showing them things on the board or talking to them about it but for the ones that need that practical aspect where they are exploring it on their own terms during their uh, free flow choosing time finding resources for that can be quite difficult like if it's something like dinosaurs you're fine because you have the resources within the school it's a topic that runs almost every year um same thing with things like fairy tales but if a child's got a very unique interest in a very specific thing and you're following that interest to, to try and get them to hit their early learning goals and you know try and get them more engaged within their learning it can be quite difficult i've mm. had to make like planets um we, like this year uh, my colleagues and i actually made planets out of balloons you know where you can make uh, do paper mache balloons and then paint each planet we've done that rather than buying it to try and actually get the children involved in that element of learning but even resourcing i find some of the most basic resources that you get are so expensive now. Um, even when you look on the education websites, like to buy resources, it's huge. It's a huge cost that you'd think I'm going to make it myself or I'm going to make it with the children instead. Mm. Absolutely. I think there's so much there, actually. There's so much stuff that we haven't even, I, I certainly haven't thought through until you've made mention of them. Yeah. And I think that 
the 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 overlooking part I think just hurts because actually yeah. if you weren't overlooked that that sharing of resources that immediately would would alleviate that pressure um mm. if people because you know in year four they, they they do or I don't know year five where they start looking at planets and so on and so forth so there probably are the resources around the building it's just mm. it hasn't been shared so actually that that's something to think about there in terms of like the communication between phases mm. how to share all that yeah. in terms of the special needs aspect of things like in terms of like during your time you said you started in 2014 and you know you, you you've been through various year groups and so on and so forth and you know having learners that are coming through that are working towards being assessed for an EHCP mm. um, and you're trying to gather information and trying to support that process because you can see all the family have 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 you know shared that they'd like to yes. go down the assessment route and you, you're being supportive and all that no doubt how I mean have you had any training in that like in terms of your your own ECT or NQT years or was that part of your training I don't really know how primary um sort of training yeah is that, is that something I would say now there's more scope for it and there is a bigger focus on you know providing training for autism ADHD um even things like trauma which doesn't necessarily come under special needs but there's so much training out there but each child you get coming in through that door if they've got a need of some sort it doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily mean that they'll fit in that exact box some children come with various needs and you end up like you could be given all the strategies but if they're not suited to that child then what's next like what what is it you do there's only so much you can trial and error as well and if it's not working then what sometimes you need to be young. shown how yeah and they're just still so young they, they are just so brand new to a school and the system and there's yeah. so much change it's actually quite hard no doubt to identify is this part of their need is it because of transition is it because it's new is it because of trauma there's so that it's just too many variables no doubt so to be able to to pinpoint that and actually be really specific in thinking about how to get to an endpoint or, or a specific strategy you have to go through that that try that yeah. uh, that sort of process but that could take three terms mm -hmm. yeah a long Definitely. journey and you've got more than one that you work trying and, to support. and i totally agree about that trauma-informed element of it as well i think that that is just so important now especially mm -hmm. the mental health crisis that is happening across the board and um, especially like with all of the, the you know the the refugees coming over from, um, from you know war torn war torn countries, there is a significant amount of trauma attached to that. And it's um, it's really important that we recognise that the the work that we do is has to be consistent so if you're working with a young person in early years and you know that they've been through difficult life experience at such a young age things have mm. happened in their lives which are out of their control and they've they've been put into circumstances that are really difficult how you know how do we ensure that there's like that continuity in in support from from what you do maybe you, you do some element of trauma uh, trauma uh, informed practice you know, but then that's that continuous support is needed when they move mm. on from early years, isn't it? Mm. I'm going to give you an example. Like, uh, uh, there were, I won't identify the child, but the child came from a war-torn country, displayed signs of autism, ADHD, did not nonverbal as well, so there was no language. English was not the first language either. So it's like you could be given all the training, but what is it that that child needs in that time? Is it support for the trauma is it support for the hyperactivity is it support for how to 
build a routine and be able to stay in the setting what what aspect do you focus on first that that's what I feel like training needs to steer like steer or get be geared towards because it's almost I feel like any training I've ever had on autism and ADHD and the rest it's almost like this is this is a box all these children fit in this box this is how you need to work it but some children have so many needs um or additional needs all in one like like ADHD and autism and speech issues so it's like what about them what is it you start with what what aspect do you focus on first mm, yeah definitely um okay so that is I mean uh, there's probably so many more challenges and things moving forward as well I think because yeah. there's been a isn't there a, a new framework that came out recently around early years and there's been a um kind of like a focus on early years recently hasn't there been from yes. Ofsted so what 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 challenges do you uh, are, are you facing with regards to that like I feel like um certain changes um within that framework were necessary but I still feel like it does not account for children with additional needs to the extent that it should it's almost always said that oh if they're not meeting those needs just go back a step but it's like if you're going back from reception to nursery where do you go before that like there's not enough scope around it not enough um conversation around okay if a child is in reception and you're going back by the nursery um assessments what about if they're not even meeting that where do i go what do i look to if they're not even meeting the nursery objectives do i go to zero to three what if they're not meeting that so then what am i if they're in my setting is what i'm doing appropriate for them is the sort of activities and all the planning and the differentiation and everything I'm planning according to their needs. If it's not even suited to them with all the changes I'm making, what is it I'm to do then? Mm, yeah. How That's can I assess them accurately? Yeah. And the thing is that that is so vital at that stage, because what you want to do is, yeah. you know, they're, they're kind of moving on to a formal kind of classroom environment when they move into that in uh, mm. year one, year two and things. And you want to make sure that you kind of have set them up in the best place, mm. best place possible, in order to yeah. ensure that there's that continuity element, whether it's yes. the trauma, whether it's the the specific educational needs, whether it's you know certain early learning goals mm. met, not met, mastered, you know, are still in the in the process of attaining. But if you're constantly, you know, looking to reassess, reassess, and think, okay, right, where do I start now with these young people? By that time, you know. I don't know how long does does that process take in terms of um, the 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 assessment and then you recognizing that actually yeah this young person has uh, has got that mastered that learning goal yeah. mastered now they can move on so there must be it must be a time frame in which you assess those young mm. people by that time they've probably got to a stage where they're leaving you yeah and like it's almost like I always think like these children always stand out to me you know the ones that really struggle with reception they're not meeting the objective or the early learning goals and then all of a sudden they put into year one where they've got complete structure how would they cope with that it's almost it's almost like they didn't cope with the lack of structure in um reception you know the freedom of following their own interests and now they're put into a year group where it's all structured and you know it's all timetabled how would a child cope with all of that yeah. I find that really interesting, Mary, because as you were speaking, I was thinking, actually, maybe the structure would help them. How interesting is that? That we're, I've yeah. just 
as you're speaking, I was like, maybe because it is just a lot. And yeah. if you're coming from, and just and just to, to offer the, the other side of the coin there is, is that there's a lot that you've come from. Let's say if we're thinking about child X that's come from, you know, a, 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 a place where they have seen awful things and they are now in a new country, learning a new language, you know, new mm. mannerisms and systems and teachers mm. and did it's almost too much to cope with yeah and the 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 it's it's just all too new and they're just trying to navigate the moment yeah the moment is changing and i think actually especially when we're thinking about learners that have additional needs sometimes that structure offers um that clarity because they they it's it supports them in in, in terms of the trauma that they may have had the, they may have just up and left, they've left their, their love, you know, their, their belongings and people that they care about and so on and so forth. So to have that structure and to know what's going to happen next offers some mm. sort of reassurance. So as you were speaking before, I was like, that's really interesting. I wonder if it, and that was going to be, I literally was going to be my next yeah. question was, you know, how how has that, your your primary experience um, sort of diff, differed from your early years experience? And actually, and you've been in the classroom, you know, exactly, you know, based on what your experience have been, have you seen that there that supported that or has it really not I mean I'm absolutely genuinely fascinated so when I was in year one um last year I found that the children that came up from reception with those gaps those gaps it was a never-ending battle to try and overcome gaps and like fill those gaps they're constantly playing catch-up those children they're constantly trying to catch up with their peers um, and you can give them all the structure, but what it actually ends up doing is overwhelming them. And then there's that huge focus that has to be placed on their emotions of like why they're feeling overwhelmed. So that overrides everything else. So that was when I was in year one. When I was in year three um, primary, um, same thing. I found um, children who struggled in early years. They moved into year one and year two. Those struggles continued. Those gaps widened whether it's with phonics or maths or just their confidence even. And in year three, a lot of the time, the children that were in year three were working at year one level. So they're in that year group, but they're working at year one level. So mm -hmm. it's like, do they ever catch up? You can do interventions. You can do things like reading, recovery, phonics interventions, all these things, but are they actually ever really catching up to mm -hmm. their peers? I, that's the question. Do you know what? I, I'm on the other side of that. I'm with, I work with young people who have actually left yeah. mainstream education, right? Yeah. So um, they've left for whatever reason, you know, uh, difficulties in their educational setting, their needs not being met in that, yeah. in the primary setting. Um, then that builds on lack of confidence, anxieties, all yeah. of those things. And it adds to the trauma. It adds to the trauma of not feeling a sense of belonging and or psychological safety and you know, maybe even feeling a sense of, um, you know, uh, dis, dis, the, like you, you feel disparity, you, you're, you feel mm. that disconnect with, with your peers. So, um, you know, I, I've worked with those young people, so I'm, I continue to work with those young people. And it's, and it's so true that they still, even, um, and some like 13 year olds who still will recall what happened to them in primary school. Yeah. You know, and yeah. they're 14 year olds, they will recall what happened to them when they were in year two. Um, because it had like, I look back at my experience and I still remember reception when I'm I'm way older now, but I still when I think primary school, I think of year three because that was probably the best year. I, I still believe as a teacher now for primary year three, 
is the best chair to teach in. Um, but I remember year three very clearly. And I also remember reception when I was in reception. Those are the only two years I have memory of. Other than that, I don't remember any of my schooling. And I remember how I was treated in reception, like how nurturing the teachers were. And I remember the things I learned in year three because they were of interest to me. But other than that, I don't recall anything else. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that you kind of block it out. And yeah. Um, yeah I, I i understand where you're coming from um but there are certain memories if they're really awful you can't block out there was a memory mm-hmm. one of one of my, one of my memories which was um I, where i ended up falling into the school pond oh, no. never, i never never forget that <laughs> how did you manage that oh, it's a, no. a story for another time it's a story for another time oh. <laughs> Oh. oh okay right so we how old were you then um i can't remember i think i was in year four i think oh. um yeah um okay right we're moving on to a break uh uh i hope you guys are enjoying our conversation with lovely mariam who's sharing all things early years and um we'll speak to you back after the break it's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go well-being and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The BBC reports that one in three primary schools has no male teachers. The study by the Warwick Business School says the proportion of schools without a male classroom teacher has increased in the last 12 months. The report's author, Dr Joshua Fullard, said this lack of male teachers was bad for pupils. Dr Fullard is Assistant Professor of Behavioural Science at Warwick Business School. He went on to say that there is a large body of research that shows students benefit from being educated by a teacher with certain similarities to them. The report also found that schools in special measures are less likely to have a male classroom teacher. In total, the report found that 24.3% of all state schools in England had no male classroom teachers. The report called for teachers' pay to be raised by more than 10% and for a merit-based reduction in tuition fees for university-led teacher training to be introduced. Julie McCulloch, Director of Policy for Aspel Union, said more needed to be done to attract men and women alike. And the spokesperson for the DfE said the department wanted the profession to be inclusive. 
Northeast Child Poverty Commission website reports that new figures published by the DfE confirm that more than three in ten pupils across the Northeast are now registered for free school meals. This is an increase from January 2022. It remains the highest proportion of any part of England. The figure of 30.4% is compared with 18.8% of pupils in the southeast and 19.4% in the east of England. The England-wide rate is 23.8%. All regions have seen a significant increase in the number and share of children eligible for free school meals over the last seven years. The Guardian reports children's enjoyment of writing has fallen to crisis point following research completed by the National Literacy Trust. The charity says an alarmingly low level of children and young people enjoy writing. The research was conducted across the UK. 34.6% of young people aged 8 to 18 said that they enjoy writing in their free time. Although three in four children starting school said that they enjoyed writing, this dropped to one in four by the age of 16. The Children's and Young People's Writing Report is drawn from over 70,000 responses from children to the charity's annual literacy survey. The number of children who say they enjoy writing in their free time has dropped by 12.2% in the 13 years since the survey began. Young people do report that they write to improve mental health and well-being and to support causes or issues they care about. Full details can be found on the National Literacy Trust website. Finally, Microsoft News reports that Taiwan has made the move to use Generative Artificial Intelligence, or AI, to help students learn English. Teachers in the country often report that students read and write better than they speak English, as shyness and a lack of practice can hinder oral communication. A new chatbot has been funded by Taiwan's Ministry of Education to help pupils get the practice they need. The Cooley bot allows pupils to speak person to AI and build up conversation on preset topics. It also assesses punctuation, accuracy and fluency. Taiwan has set a goal of becoming bilingual in Chinese and English by 2030. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to ask you a question. Do you use presentation software to help you deliver your lessons? 99% of you will be saying yes at this point. Have you ever considered how many presentations the average pupil in your school sees in a day, in a week, or even in their entire school life? Considering a typical secondary education with a bit of rough maths, over a week with five lessons a day, there's potential to see 25 presentations. That's 100 presentations in just four weeks. I've left out any additional presentations like assemblies and visitors, etc. Working on a 38-week year, that's a whopping 950 presentations a year. That's a lot of presentations. Now, let's throw in some schools have a standardised slide theme and set layouts. Now we have 950 exactly the same lesson beginnings. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but do we really know what experience a pupil gets through a typical week in school? Are they being engaged or are they being presented with the same visual stimulus day in, day out, simply causing them to fly below the radar? If you're like me, you're now thinking, how do I make my presentation stand out? Is there a presentation software out there that's better than all the rest? In my humble opinion, this is like the visualizer versus HD webcam argument. What works for some does not work for others because all subjects are not the same, which is a good thing, don't get me wrong, 
but please bear in mind that what works for one teacher may not work for another. A search for free presentation software returns no less than 24 apps I recognise. Some are interactive like Mentimeter, others have more dynamic transitions like Prezi. Most also have additional features and add-ons you can purchase. I know what you're saying, come on Steve, which is the best though? Well the answer is simple, but I've run out of time, so I'll have to tell you next week. In the meantime, please consider the number of presentations a typical pupil is subjected to in your school. Does this need to change, or does it work? And how do you know? Do you have a preferred presentation software, and what are the features that make it stand out for you? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, welcome back. Um, okay, so Maria, thank you so much for the, such an interesting conversation and you know, both, both through this show, but also offline. It's, it's been really, really interesting getting to know you and your journey. Um, so what's next for you and what uh, work are you sort of aiming to do next? So I will actually be working in, it's funny, I'm very passionate about the early years, but I'm going back into key stage one next year. I'll be working in year one again. Um, but I feel like what next for me, I would never want to give up working with children and staying within the classroom. I'd always want to be within the classroom. But I do think I'm looking, I'm heading towards an MPQ in teaching and learning or special needs. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because when I did my master's that um, something, a seed was planted for like an interest in special educational needs and the reform that it needs and so I think if I was to pursue that I would probably pursue an MPQ in special educational needs and I was told yesterday that that is now available to do um, yeah. so if the op opportunity arises in my new setting I would definitely take that up. I always joke though because um, See, I was working at Heathrow and I didn't even want to do a degree at one point and then I went from a degree PGC to a master's I always joke and my lecturers at my university always say to me so when are you coming back for the PhD and I'm like oh I don't know um you know it's always it's always at the back of my mind but you know when you haven't figured yourself out and you're like I'm not just going to do it for the sake of it when when that seed is planted fully and I can't get it out of my head I think eventually if that door ever opens and you know I'm fully all for it I would like to pursue a PhD but at the moment it's off the cards but in the future you never know great <laughs> yeah yeah um, and the last thing sorry I wanted to add is I am you know so I've I completed the master's one thing I am also interested in is um working at university so um going into helping other people progress into becoming a teacher or like early careers teachers and eyfs teachers specifically so hopefully if that door opens as well i'll be heading that way um but at the moment i'm teaching i'm happy teaching and i'm excited to see what the future holds That's great thank you so much yeah. mariam for sharing all of that um and we're coming to the end of the show it's been such yep. a pleasure getting to know you, talking to you. Um, you've Likewise. Really few, yeah, you've really given us an insight into early years. And I'll be honest with you, yeah. You know, sometimes you naturally like have certain tendencies to like about certain, like you were saying earlier, overlook certain sectors. For me, I was like, yeah. uh, I've never been sure about early years. But honestly, the way you're talking about it and your passion about it really 
um, kind of um, has given me great insight into the way early years functions and works and the different challenges, but it also mm. provides me with um, information that, you know, actually it's like something which we should not, we, sh we, sh we shouldn't sideline it. We should really mm. harness, and that's what the show is about, harnessing those early years. They are so crucial and you really explain mm. that and um, really well. And I'm sure our listeners, you know, are really inspired by everything you said and, and your journey. Yep. So just to end off the, yep. the our interview uh, with you, um, what top tips or insights would you like to share with our listeners around early years uh, and for anyone who wants to join? So I'll start off with around early years. So I think there needs to be, for the future, there needs to be a mutual understanding between early years and the primary sector. So usually early years and primary sector are one because they're part of a school but I feel like there needs to be a mutual understanding of what each phase entails so there's that you know there's that, how I was saying there's that misconception that oh all you do is play and babysit and that's not true I feel like anyone in primary who's curious should actually come and see what earlier staff do the physical demands of earlier is a lot it's physically very demanding you're inside you're outside you're constantly on the move there's no time to sit and just take a breather you're constantly on the go and I also feel like it works both ways so um, a lot of early year staff whenever they hear about year five or year six or key stage two they're always like oh I'll never go there it's too hard oh that's beyond me I would never be able to do that so I think equally they should be a bit more open-minded about what key stage two would be like you know maybe spend some time there see what it is actually like we've all been through the school process we've we've made it through so you never know you don't know until you try so I'll just say to be a bit more open-minded and to give it a go um what else I'd say for anyone who wants to go into an early years I'd say be open-minded um there is a lot there's a lot of room for creativity um so if you're creative and you love that element of you know the aspect of being able to make things and teach in a lot of different ways um you'll love it um one thing I will say um, is, you know, I feel like every teacher when they start off, there's that idea of, oh, I want to help all children and I'm going to give them the best and I'm going to nurture them. Sometimes you have to be realistic with the, how much you can do because you don't want to end up getting disheartened with how much you end up doing based on the child's circumstances or outcomes and things like that. So just um, sometimes it's you have to see the reality of the school that you're working with, really get to know the vision of the school that you're in. Does your vision align with theirs? You know, do you match on a lot of things? Are your principles the same? And really choose the school that you work for carefully because you're, you spend a lot of time there. So choose wisely. That's what I would say. Couldn't have said that any better. That is incredible. And I think it's <laughs> absolutely spot on. In, in all that you shared today, and, and quite quite rightly so, it's we, we spoke about this offline, which is about everyone has a hand in this. So it's yeah. having the, the you know the the nursery right through to early years, primary, you know, infant, and then junior, and then you know uh, secondary and and post nineteen. So that thread, that golden thread, has to be there. And it has mm. to be finding that that time to cross collaborate to communicate. Um, and mm. to give each other the same respect because we're all there for the same reasons. We want the best for these young people. Um, and so to yeah. always have the heart of it. And so maybe, you know, find these opportunities to do that. Um, and, and you know, if, if listeners do want to come and, and visit schools and so on and so forth, I'm sure we will be thinking about 
how we can bring these things together as well. So that's really, really interesting. Thank you so very much, Marianne, for being such a wonderful Thank guest. you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Um, it's been great talking to you both. It was so easy to talk to you both. Thank you so <laughs> much, Mariam. And um, we'll, uh, we're going to move on to our third and final break. Um, and uh, we're saying, going to say our goodbyes to Mariam. And uh, we hope to chat to you soon. Take Thank care, Thank you Mariam. so much for having me. Thank Take you care. So Thank you. Bye. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The BBC reports that one in three primary schools has no male teachers. The study by the Warwick Business School says the proportion of schools without a male classroom teacher has increased in the last 12 months. The report's author, Dr Joshua Fullard, said this lack of male teachers was bad for pupils. Dr Fullard is Assistant Professor of Behavioural Science at Warwick Business School. He went on to say that there is a large body of research that shows students benefit from being educated by a teacher with certain similarities to them. The report also found that schools in special measures are less likely to have a male classroom teacher. In total, the report found that 24.3% of all state schools in England had no male classroom teachers. The report called for teachers' pay to be raised by more than 10% and for a merit-based reduction in tuition fees for university-led teacher training to be introduced. Julie McCulloch, Director of Policy for Aspel Union, said more needed to be done to attract men and women alike. And a spokesperson for the DfE said the department wanted the profession to be inclusive. North East Child Poverty Commission website reports that new figures published by the DfE confirm that more than three in ten pupils across the North East are now registered for free school meals. This is an increase from January 2022. It remains the highest proportion of any part of England. The figure of 30.4% is compared with 18.8% of pupils in the South East and 19.4% in the East of England. The England wide rate is 23.8%. All regions have seen a significant increase in the number and share of children eligible for free school meals over the last seven years. The Guardian reports children's enjoyment of writing has fallen to crisis point following research completed by the National Literacy Trust. 
The charity says an alarmingly low level of children and young people enjoy writing. The research was conducted across the UK. 34.6% of young people aged 8 to 18 said that they enjoy writing in their free time. Although three in four children starting school said that they enjoyed writing, this dropped to one in four by the age of 16. The Children's and Young People's Writing Report is drawn from over 70,000 responses from children to the charity's annual literacy survey. The number of children who say they enjoy writing in their free time has dropped by 12.2% in the 13 years since the survey began. Young people do report that they write to improve mental health and well-being and to support causes or issues they care about. Full details can be found on the National Literacy Trust website. Finally, Microsoft News reports that Taiwan has made the move to use Generative Artificial Intelligence, or AI, to help students learn English. Teachers in the country often report that students read and write better than they speak English, as shyness and a lack of practice can hinder oral communication. A new chatbot has been funded by Taiwan's Ministry of Education to help pupils get the practice they need. The Cooley bot allows pupils to speak person to AI, and build up conversation on preset topics. It also assesses punctuation, accuracy and fluency. Taiwan has set a goal of becoming bilingual in Chinese and English by 2030. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to ask you a question. Do you use presentation software to help you deliver your lessons? 99% of you will be saying yes at this point. Have you ever considered how many presentations the average pupil in your school sees in a day, in a week, or even in their entire school life? Considering a typical secondary education, with a bit of rough maths, over a week with five lessons a day, there's potential to see 25 presentations. That's 100 presentations in just four weeks. I've left out any additional presentations like assemblies and visitors, etc. Working on a 38-week year, that's a whopping 950 presentations a year. That's a lot of presentations. Now, let's throw in some schools have a standardised slide theme and set layouts. Now we have 950 exactly the same lesson beginnings. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but do we really know what experience a pupil gets through a typical week in school? Are they being engaged or are they being presented with the same visual stimulus day in, day out, simply causing them to fly below the radar. If you're like me, you're now thinking, how do I make my presentation stand out? Is there a presentation software out there that's better than all the rest? In my humble opinion, this is like the visualizer versus HD webcam argument. What works for some does not work for others because all subjects are not the same, which is a good thing, don't get me wrong, but please bear in mind that what works for one teacher may not work for another. A search for free presentation software returns no less than 24 apps I recognise. Some are interactive like Mentimeter, others have more dynamic transitions like Prezi. Most also have additional features and add-ons you can purchase. I know what you're saying, come on Steve, which is the best though? Well the answer is simple, but I've run out of time, so I'll have to tell you next week. In the meantime, please consider the number of presentations a typical pupil is subjected to in your school. Does this need to change, or does it work? And how do you know? Do you have a preferred presentation software and what are the features that make it stand out for you? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute 
Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So, welcome back. Um, we're going to share our thoughts with our discussions with Marion um, because actually, for us, it's been quite enlightening and actually invigorating Absolutely. to hear someone's passion, um, especially when it comes to early years, because not everyone really is that attracted to that those early years. I know I wasn't, mm. um, but actually the part that it plays in the lives of us, our children, the future generation is so important and finding passionate practitioners and teachers who are willing to really go in and change and potentially change the lives of these young people. It's so important. We cannot highlight the importance of that. So Krupa, what are your thoughts? Um, so I, yeah, you're absolutely spot on when you say, you know, it's, it's the foundation. It's the foundation of one, isn't it? And I think, you know, when I sat back and reflected upon that, that reflection and speaking with yourself and Mariam, I thought, it actually starts before birth. It starts from the time that a female conceives and 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 that education, that learning to support that journey is really quite important. And where that stemmed from is actually I was thinking, what defines early years? So I was thinking, you know, you have a newborn and mom, you know, the mother and father or care or guardian, whatever, you know, the caregivers of this young, beautiful being is they're going through a lot. They they they, you know, they are they've just changed their transition, they've got this new wonderful being and you're trying to maneuver all of that but actually learning happens from that moment go from the time the arrival of that young person comes through into this wonderful world and you think you know about feeding and you think about nutrition and, and how much importance there is placed on that and then I was thinking well actually I wonder why that is the physiology around that and actually there's you know up until the age of eight we know that the human brain still isn't fully developed by the time they're 25 but Eight is really important and, and crucial years um, around brain development and thinking about the architecture of the brain. It does really begin from birth. And so there's experiences between birth and when they access some form of formalized setting um, for an academic sort of uh, or, or an experience, you know, nurseries and uh, child minders and, and all these wonderful things that, that are available. They, they, almost tap into getting ready for what's going to happen at school because there are some really clear systems that the, the young people need to go through so I think that for me I think it's do we have enough placement and time I know they've got the five to thrive model and so on and so forth but is there enough education for soon-to-be parents around those early moments between zero to three months three to six months and all that and then are we equipping them and are they being identified early enough? Uh, because we've seen data around reading, for example, and vocabulary. You know, the sooner we begin that, the greater chance of, of young person being able to, to be, be able to access those sort of skill sets. Um, it then made me think about the, the major areas of child development. So you think about motor development, cognitive, social, emotional. Again, starts from birth. So although we're talking about early years, that's almost at the second stage. You've got, you know, from birth to when they start a formalized setting, then you've got uh from school age growth and then you've got key stage two three four five and so on and so forth and, and life that happens between all of that the other element that i was really interested in was she made mention of this 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 route to purpose idea and this idea of assessment and it made me think well actually 
there are so many schools of thought in the pedagogy around early years. So you've got, you know, Montessori and the, the Regio, and you've got, you know, uh, Waldorf and the various different types of, of thinking. But fundamentally, it's about the seven areas of development and how they're being assessed. But the quality is actually the most important element. The quality of that assessment is going to really be, will be passed on. So if you think about the learners that come through to you, for example, setting, you are taking all of that information from wherever they were, if they were in a setting. And then you're saying, right, how do I now make sense of this? What I'm reading and what I'm seeing, do they align? And what's what's the gaps that I need to support to, to fill that for the young person? So um, there was lots and lots of, of thinking. But in terms of assessment for me, I think it's, I think I'm going to do some further thinking and reading around what, what the assessments are. So you've got the baselines now, um, why they are there and what do they look like? And then what does what's the impact in terms of quality growth and meaningful use? Because there's the other part of it which can actually encourage stress and so on and so forth. So you have multiplication tests and things like that in four and SATs. And we've heard recently about you know how difficult those SATs questions were. Um, and you think at such a tender age where their brains are not fully formed where they haven't had maybe the consistency are we really doing that well enough considering now that we know we do have really uh, passionate practitioners like Mariam we are better informed around um, identifying special needs and alternative sort of strategies sooner is there more work around bringing that interconnected thinking around there so um, those are my my big sort of um, follow-on thoughts from from that discussion my ones were um, around, linked around, I think, something that you touched on and something that Marion touched on, which is around the, how vital those early years are, um, how creating really positive experiences in those early years is so important because if the young person misses out on early years, and I know this because I deal, I'm, deal, I'm, I'm dealing on a day-to-day -day basis with young people who have missed significant chunks of their education from early years all the way to through their primary education and um there's certain things that just hit home you know those those learning behaviors that these young people may not have or practiced enough um the gaps in in these young people's learning which creates these really spiky profiles mm -hmm. for the practitioners who work with them now then there's an element of that trust in educators and practitioners because if they've had these checkered educational history and mm. not had a really positive a good experience in early years how that can affect their trust in in educators uh, and in adults who teach like teachers and whatnot and that's probably for the same for parents as well and the impact on the on the later years the anxiety the confidence the lack of confidence all of these things which Marion spoke about before uh, as well they can have a real impact on that young purpose capacity mm. to engage in learning Absolutely. and so therefore what we would need to be doing is in a way capacity building for these young people is yeah. so important the same way we look to capacity build for ourselves um i think my final thoughts uh, in terms of the early years and the importance of investing in in that element was to do with um, making sure that we have passionate people like Mariam who are willing to go in and you know love working within with those younger people and and 
take their passions further, you know, engaging further reading, engaging further studies like Marion wanted to, just to, yeah, yes. just to make themselves the a better practitioner mm. and just to increase and enhance their knowledge because that can really have a significant impact on your skill set and your capacity as a practitioner and there's that element of that flex and creativity and that responsive teaching that needs to happen in early years and I know for example like with me I'm um, I started gaining that kind of that kind of responsive teaching confidence in responsive teaching mm. a little bit later when I had deeper knowledge and understanding of who I was working with and, and the curriculum of things I'm a really big fan now of responsive teaching and responding to the learners in the moment rather than following like a set lesson plan you know um make the best of any sessions you have with young people pick up on those aha moments and then use that to lead the discussion and when you have a toolkit and when you're passionate about what you do then you can do that you can be responsive to those to the learning in that moment and to what the students are experiencing at that moment so those are my important things but i just think it's it's wonderful that we've got people like marion so moving on now um we are going to be moving on to our i wish i knew earlier um <laughs> this time krupa you're going to be sharing yes what did you wish you knew earlier I'm, I'm, oh, oh, we still haven't come up with our, our drum roll or theme tune for that oh no we must shouldn't we yeah. a little jingle for that okay yeah we'll work okay. on that Alrighty. so um i'm going to change what i wish i knew earlier to what i wish i did earlier just for this week Okay, I know we're, we're sort of deviating a little bit, but I think I felt inspired by Mariam's passion and I wish that I had exposed myself to such practitioners and such phases. So while I feel really confident with understanding uh, adolescence and beyond, um, you know, right up to, to 25, I think actually I do understand primary, but I don't have the same experience and and I think there is some validity in that, you know, uh, I, I, reading podcasts, radio shows like ours are absolutely brilliant sources of information, but it's being down on the ground, being operational, being there and being part of that. And I think what your final thoughts were actually rings true to what my, I wish I did earlier moment, which was build a connection with these young people sooner. You know, um, I, I never found a reason to do that. I know they existed. I know that they happened because obviously went to primary school, then they came to me in secondary, but actually I wish I had made a conscious effort to be in those learning spaces and see how it all operates and see how connection works and actually the you know only now as a mother that i've thought about the quality of the practitioners that we talk about thought about what well, actually what are their, their their apprenticeship courses what are they doing what's the quality like around that because that's my child in there and because it's my child i want the very best for her uh, then so um it's i had to think about it with a different lens if that makes sense but as as a as educational practitioner, before having my children, when I started, I really, really wish I, I had sort of taken my, my nose out of what I was doing at that point in time, because that's what I had capacity for, but actually spread my wings a little bit and networked and actually got into uh, where I could into early years reception, key stage one, two, um, a lot more. Mm. I think that would have really offered some, some, mm. some information sooner. I think that's quite good, actually, for any ITT providers out there to recognise the Absolutely. importance of, you know, 
coming out of that phase and just experiencing other phases. I think that, you know, you just don't know which way your life is going to go later on. There are a lot of people that go into secondary, they move into primary, a lot of people that go into primary, they move into secondary, Absolutely. because they think they will work better with those kids, uh, those young people. But actually, those decisions are made a lot sooner. If, if anyone who's learning to be in the education sector, if they experience other phases mm-hmm. and um you know no phase and no sector within education is without its challenges mm-hmm. like Mariam, she went through a whole load of challenges that mm-hmm. the early year sector phases but if we had a primary teacher on or a secondary teacher they would say the same thing they would talk about all the kind of you know similar ish of uh, issues that they may face within their phases so no part of the sector is without its problems Absolutely. and without its challenges. Yeah, but actually understanding what we do in each other's phase will help bridge that, yeah. which would help make our contributions more meaningful, would help be a, be a force for change and a force for good. Agreed. Yeah? Agreed. Okay, so we're moving on to our final moments of the show. Um, we've got a few minutes left and we want we always end our Sunday show with a serenity Sunday moment. Um, so today I'm going to be sharing my serenity Sunday moment. Uh, and do you know the way I, the way I come up with these is sometimes I just come up with a like someone may say something would just trigger something in think oh, how is this relevant to my life or it just creates like a shift in my thinking and I don't know where where this came up. Um, maybe it was in a podcast I was listening to, or maybe it was even on YouTube or something. But the word checks and balances came up. Mm. And I thought, checks and balances. And I think it's when, when I'm going through something in my life, I just, oh, that is such a really good concept. Because obviously there's a legal definition of what checks and balances is. But actually I thought, hang on, there's a different perspective on checks and balances. And that, um, you know, those checks and balances in life exist to ensure that we create a balance in our lives. And that could be family, that could be friends, that could be the staff we work with, the students that we serve, um, even the hobbies and the personal interests we may have. All of those things give give us these checks and balance moments. Um, And so when we're busy spinning our 15 plates, (laughs) minimum 15. At least, I was just thinking that. (laughs) Or our 20 balls, (laughs) juggling our 20 balls in the air. Or we're busy people pleasing or we Mm. allow negative people, negative thoughts or any kind of negativity to enter our space. We become, those checks and balances need to be in place for us to then find our true balance. And unless we u- utilise and use these checks and balances, which are naturally part of our life, um, we won't be able to balance our time, our energy and our resources. Mm. So once we have found that healthy equilibrium in life through the utilisation of, is that word, utilisation? Yeah, utilisation of those checks and balances. <laughs> I'm always checking with you when I was saying the word. Um, then we begin to function better, we begin to feel better, and we're rewarded with more deeper, meaningful work and relationships. So then that will help us to burn brighter rather than burn out. Oh, lovely. That's a lovely end. Brilliant. We'll take that on board this week, Nazia. 
I'm going to, yeah. I think what I will do is actually check out. I'm going to check out for a bit, I think. And then that will t to enable me to just get that, the, the, the big areas of balance in my world a bit more aligned. Um, so, and I do often do that when I check out, it's not because I'm not interested or I, I'm just absolutely emotionally drained. I'm having to sieve through all that. So I'm, I'm, I think I'm at the point of checking out, um, as a, this idea of checking and the checks and balance is, is absolutely stunning. Um, yeah. So let's reflect back on that in two weeks time. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, this is a message for me over and above any message that I give to anyone else, because I have got you know, checks and balances in my life and I need to really um, keep keep there and, mm, you know, mm. keep and refer to them yeah. and make use of them. Yeah. And so I've, it's a message, it's a, it's a big message for me as well, so not just for our listeners. I hope everyone has enjoyed our um, show and you've gained something meaningful from it. You've all. I'm hoping that one of the overriding things that has um, that we've shared is about the importance that early years plays in our lives, in the lives of young people that teach that we teach, mm -hmm. and that it's really important that we pay attention to it. Absolutely, and, and not to lose sight of the why, so the future generation, the next big thing that we need to, you know, carve, carve, carve our time for. So it's, it's starting from, from the beginning yeah, and seeing where it takes us. Okay, so on that note, we are going to wish each of you a wonderful, warm weekend. Uh, we hope that you are going to check uh, your own checks and balances, as Nazia has suggested this week. Um, and we've also some really exciting guests coming up, so stay tuned. Don't forget to keep following us, um, and we'll be back. Have a good weekend, guys. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.